Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. This is a Paramount podcast. It is Thursday morning here in Morgantown, West Virginia. That means we are here to preview the upcoming Mountaineer football game this weekend. Chris Anderson, the underdog Mountaineers at Central Florida. Let's start right here. I understand that things are not going perfectly for Neil Brown's fifth team. Back-to-back losses. You could argue that they would and should have different outcomes. Whatever. You could also argue that the outcomes are maybe not indicative of the record. You could also argue that the record is not indicative of how good they are. And maybe that's the theme we take out of this because six and a half point underdogs on the road, which is not abnormal, except it's against a team that has lost four straight games and has not yet won in the conference it is new to this season. Please explain it. I think it can be explained with that last quarter against Oklahoma State. I mean, Oklahoma State just ran all over West Virginia, or Ollie, Go- or Ollie Gordon ran all over West Virginia. And what does UCF do really, really well? They run the ball. And I think that I think on the road and you see WVU fall apart like that, especially against the run game. And, you know, to maybe the betting public, to maybe some guys that are looking at some advanced stats and stuff, they're saying this is a terrible matchup for WVU if that's the case. Yeah, I don't know where I stand on this one here. I understand that if they punch it in, instead of kick a field goal to tie the game, they're in the lead. I understand that if, I'm trying to think of some of the things that went wrong here. I don't know. This whole like one play thing here or there, obviously the the punt tackle, friendly fire. Sure, it may be a different outcome. Or it might be a different game if they're in the lead instead of playing from behind. I understand all that. I wonder if we've given enough attention to the fact that their defense could not stop anybody in the fourth quarter. It looked defenseless out there. Um, not a play on words. It just looked like it had no defense to stop what Oklahoma State was doing, which wasn't very exotic, but sure was effective. Uh, have we overlooked that, that West Virginia could have made good plays and kept scoring, but quite possibly they were not going to stop Ollie Gordon in Oklahoma State? Because uh, I think a lot of people are going to rightfully – uh, focus on that fourth quarter and point to just like the amazing numbers he had. But throughout the entire game, he w- I mean, he was averaging like six yards a carry for most of the game, even before that. So it wasn't like he was being held to nothing for three and a half quarters and then all of a sudden broke out. Like he was already, what, at 150 yards um, before those final few runs there at the end of the game. So he he may not have had his way with West Virginia's defense, but he was finding success against it. And then he finally just, you know, kind of again, broke through and Jordan Leslie had his, his reasons for it. He, he, you know, said on Monday, I think that was the one. Yeah. It had to have been Monday. That's when he talks um, that they had basically just sold out for the run and, and tried to get it stopped as a tackle for loss or no gain and had hit the wrong fits. And that was it. Once you hit the wrong fit, when you're selling out like that, you know, it's not going to be a seven-yard run. It's going to be a 70-yard run. So, Yeah, great okay. point about that because they go like cover zero or like strong cover one a couple times, and that's kind of how you blitz, and that didn't work. And people are like, well, why don't you pressure more? Why don't you blitz more? Well, kind of saw what happened there. Another thing I love is that, well, yeah, Ollie Gordon had a huge game because he had 149 yards in the fourth quarter. True. Also had 133 in the first three quarters. He was on his way to a big game. He just happened to finish it, which West Virginia did not. Um 
theme, I guess, the past two games. More so Saturday than the one before, the Thursday, I guess, two Thursdays before. But that's where they are right now. Four and three overall, two and two in the Big 12. Six and a half point underdog going to FBC Mortgage Stadium. The Bounce House, home of the UCF Knights. Three and four. Oh, and four overall. I'd like to start, Chris, with the UCF offense, if that's okay with you, because it's pretty fun to watch and had terrific stats, including the number one offense in the country after non-conference play. Have not won in conference play, really hard to blame the offense. Still putting up yards, still running the ball, still scoring effectively, have weathered some quarterback issues. John Rice Plumley is back. Two electric receivers, a pretty good tandem running back situation there. And just a commitment to running the ball, but also a diversity in how they run the ball. I have a feeling I know where you're going to go with this, but this just seems like it's a challenge to me, not just in the type of offense they're playing, but like how varied and how stylistic UCF is going to be with their run game. Yeah. So for those listening, I like that you were the diversity there with the, with the, how they run this offense. And it's like, how do you even really describe it? And when I am looking at teams that West Virginia is about to play, I go in um, to the patron states of YouTube. Um, there are a few of them out there. If you go search them, I don't want to pump them up too much and have them taken down, but they will give you the, the games, uh, college football games, basically like, that's the chase. What is it? The is it soccer that does that thing where it's like you know ninety minutes and thirty minutes or something like that where they yeah, cut out all the fluff. Mm-hmm. It basically, got the equivalent of that for college football, and it's fantastic. And it's also kind of wild to just watch some of these plays stack up, play after play after play, and see how differently they are. Especially when you're watching UCF, and this goes to your point about the diversity of the offense because I'm watching it and. One play, you'll see your traditional read option where, you know, the quarterback puts the the ball into the bread basket of the running back, like he's going to hand it off. He reads the edge rusher. He reads the defense and makes a decision. Does he hand it off? Does he keep it? If he keeps it, he goes. Except sometimes that read option then kind of veers into like a run pass option. There was one play where he did the read option and then he kept it. And instead of, you know, running straight ahead or running right off the edge there, he kind of rolled out in, from the read option into a rollout run pass option outside of the pocket, which was wild. That's great. And then another time it was a read option. It was almost like a read option into an arc, a, you know, an RPO. Again, I just said run pass option, but they're just mixing all this stuff together. And again, there was another one was like a read option where he pulled the handoff back. But then instead of him running it, there was now a wide receiver coming across the formation behind him to catch a pitch for an end around. And that, that's the kind of stuff that's just on and on and on. And they're just mixing and matching these different styles of offense, piecing them together and making almost like a Frankenstein freakishly, you know, option filled offense for UCF. And I think that's why they found so much success. It's a bit of a shell game, isn't it? Like you don't know. Like someone's moving all three cups, which one has the football, you know? And obviously, like it's this one, and you lift it up, and there's nothing there. And all of a sudden, the one on the right is actually running around the corner with the ball too. It's effective. It's kind of fun to watch. It's a new coordinator, uh, first year guy, um, Darren Hinshaw, but it it looks a lot like Malzahn stuff from the past. And and I don't want to make this comparison, but like everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but people who are familiar with Malzahn are familiar with the Auburn offense. And if you're a fan of like NCAA football. 
pardon the the reach here, but like that was a fun playbook to use because there was so much of that stuff you're talking about, that sleight of hand, that option, that decision-making by the quarterback. You really got to trust the guy to do it. And Plumlee, they certainly trust. Really good athlete, can throw it, can run it too. And they're different with him in there, even though McLean is a pretty good athlete in his own right and can run and can operate the offense. But I think that his trust Plumlee to do more and everything you're talking about, the motion, the deception, lean one way, it's going the other, counter stuff. They do buck sweep things with, you know, two guards or a guard and a tackle pulling. They'll they'll run counter stuff with a tight end reversing, like he'll come in motion to the left and then counter back to the right and lead block. I, I don't want to say you don't see the same play twice, but like you might see the same play twice with three different looks or all these different bells and whistles attached. It's really effective and it's kind of fun to watch. And, you know, they they're quick too. the one thing about them is that they're fast skill positions fast, but like everything they do is fast. Sometimes it's fast between snaps, but like when their guys are in motion, they're fast. When they're getting into screens, they're fast. When they're running slants or streaks, they're fast. Like everybody's fast out there in what they do. And it really stresses you on defense. Um, one play every 24.1 seconds. Um, that's a pretty good number there, but like they still get 68.7 snaps per game, which is less than West Virginia, but they just run them so often. They're so effective um, that, that they're just better at what they do when they're going quick. West Virginia, 70 snaps per game, UCF 68.7. So you figure, all right, that's not that different. 24.1 seconds per play, UCF, West Virginia, it was quite a bit different. You're talking like sometimes 28, 29 seconds there too. So my point being, everything is fast. And when you're playing that fast, it's very hard to get an idea what to expect. I'm looking at the roster right now and I was, I was just confirming, but yeah, uh, Johnny Richardson, one of the multiple running backs that West Virginia will see. And I, I went and checked. He still got the picture that I took of him at WVU camp. You got me thinking about it when you're talking about the speed. And if I recall recurrent, Correctly, I mean, I think he was one of the fastest guys there, like four, four, you know, four, four, 40 yard dash, just blazing fast. And, you know, West Virginia, a lot of other schools are very interested in him and, and a couple of these other guys at UCF, but it's one of those situations for him in particular, like the way that West Virginia has gotten guys, you know, he's, he's only five, six. And so West Virginia passed on him. He ends up at UCF and he's averaging almost eight yards per carry right now. So yeah, a lot of speed on that side of the ball. All right, let's go to a loaded question here. Are you ready? Why not? Is Plumley good? <laughs> just, I just it's a good question, I think. Because his stats don't blow you away, but his teams have been good. He seems like he's good at what he's doing, but sometimes when he's not in there, the offense is okay and the team is okay. I do wonder if that has to do with, you know, like he was such a wild card at Ole Miss. I don't think anybody knew he was coming. And then the next year he was out playing receiver and they transfers after his third year. Um, and then you're in the, you're in the American. It's a little bit different. And this year, I don't know, some of the non-conference stuff, he wasn't there. Maybe he can get by with a different level of play, but 14 touchdowns, eight picks, seven and a half yards per attempt last year, passing 63% completion this year, pretty much the same when it comes to yards per attempt and completions, five touchdowns, four picks. They were okay without him offensively. Like they still do what they do. He's a good runner. 159 yards rushing this year. Last year, 862. So again, he played 13 games last year. He won't do that this year. He's already missed three and a part of a fourth. Feels like a divisive kind of player. Maybe one you like to have, or maybe one you'd rather not play against. I'm not sure where it goes. 
Yeah, I was looking at that too. Like, how did how did they perform without him? And I mean, some of the stats you could say they were better because basically they were without him. What was it for for Villanova? Which okay, whatever. But Kansas State, Baylor, most of Kansas, like they, I think he came out, played like a handful of snaps, and then left again in that one. And then, um, you know, obviously he was there for all of Oklahoma and and, and kept them in it. But I'm with you. Like I, 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 at times I can't tell if he's if he's great if he's even the best or if he's even the best option on their team. Um, Cause Timmy McLean came in and, you know, he, he looked pretty good against like Kansas state. Like I think he was um, not quite as good at running as Plumlee has been, but has put up some damage. So I don't know. You're, I'm, I'm with you on the de- divisive cause I can't even come up with an opinion on him right now. Oh, Okay. That kind of makes my point, though, I guess. Yeah. Again, you don't know if you'd rather be on his team or on the other team or if, uh, vice versa here, too. Let's talk about their running game. Very effective. Um, one of my favorite stats here, and I'm going to give you a couple of these here as we go along, but um, 15 rushing touchdowns this year, Chris. Yeah. The average length is 13 and a half yards. That includes, I believe, four one-yard touchdown runs, and three of them, the run was in between like 20 and 55 yards that got tackled to one. So that 13 and a half is quite a bit higher, probably, but it's not but you could see where that number is bent a little bit by one-yard touchdown runs. That could be quite a bit more. Just explosive offense. One reason that they're so low on time of possession is they run fast, but also they score from a distance too, and they get it done on the ground. Yeah, and and they go all over the place. You look at the, you know, we always like to take a look at the, the direction of which they run, and it's everywhere. You know, uh, it, literally even from left in and right in, 52 on each side, and, and success on both sides. But they also like to hit the middle, like right off center, uh, middle left and middle right. That combines for 54. And again, a lot of success going that direction. So you're not finding quite as much as that like left guard, left tackle kind of stuff. It's almost like running. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the same type of offense, but the same um, what, belief system here of the old Dana Holgerson offense. It's like, hey, you're going to spread them out, run them up the middle, or you're going to try to get way outside and get in space. But none of the between the tackles or between the guard and tackle kind of area, and this offense really takes advantage of like right up the middle and way outside. Mm-hmm. Um, two running backs are featured: R.J. Harvey, Johnny Richardson. Between them, over a thousand yards, seven touchdowns rushing. Uh, Plumlee and McLean both run it when they're playing, but they will also get receivers involved in it. Uh, Xavier Towns is a guy that has uh, about double-digit touches when it comes to handoffs and receptions they use him in a whole bunch of bubble stuff and jet action so again one of those one of those cups that's moving you don't know if he's going to have the ball but just creates gaps there and then you know their line i don't know this some of this is indicative i think of a team that's new to the big 12 or new to the power five but their line is kind of come and go this year and um, her pan has done a good job with some of the parts he has there but they're just so committed to it that I'm guessing it, that they practice it so much that they've been able to weather the quarterback injuries and the competition. Like again, their, their numbers aren't as great in conference play as they were in non-conference play. Still pretty good, even though they're new to the competition there too. And then they also throw the ball, which is where things get interesting because they do have some uh, receiving threats there. Javon Baker, Kobe Hudson transfer second season from Alabama and Auburn. Those guys have about a thousand yards, six touchdowns between them. They are one of three, tandems in the country that have 490 more yards they are also number eight and number 10 nationally in yards per catch uh hudson number eight 21.57 baker number 10 21.19 uh 
here we are talking about this effective and sometimes explosive running game. Oh, by the way, they can throw it too. Yeah, you mentioned Townsend. Townsend is that guy that does the kind of short, quick stuff. He, I believe he was the one on that play I was talking about where they do a read option and then there's a receiver doing an end around. I believe that was Townsend coming around on the end around too. And then, yeah, so if it's short, if it's quick, it's probably to him. But if that's not the option, then it's out to Baker or Hudson, and they're and they're going deep, like you said, both of them over 21 yards per catch so far this season. And and some of that is because you mentioned the line and Herb Hands. I mean, he he seems like he's juggling a lot there. Yeah. Um, they have had I think it was three starters, three starters at left guard, three starters at center, and three starters at right tackle. Uh, Marcellus Marshall, who was a Morgantown boy, began at Kent State, transferred, ended up at UCF, um, began the year as the right tackle, is now the starting left guard. You don't see the cross-line, cross-position switch like that very often, but that's something they're doing with him. They've had to change centers. Uh, and I don't know if it's injuries or performance, but a lot of movement on that line, and I think some of that has resulted in these rollouts that Plumley has been doing, especially – and when they're rolling out, I don't know, a lot of that's just like quarterback wide receiver connection where you're doing like a scramble drill and trying to get open and Baker and Hudson do a really nice job of getting open in those situations. All right, let's go to the number stat for you here. 14 touchdown passes for UCF. Average distance, 34.6 yards. Ooh. That worries you a little bit, doesn't it? It does. I, I was going to say, are we going to get to the portion of the podcast where we say something that sounds positive for WVU on Saturday? I don't know. Okay, nope. just checking. Like, a, do we have wind to talk about? Because that would be like the the trifecta right now. <laughs> um, just it, listen. This can be an explosive offense, and and those numbers there are legitimate. Like they 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 beat up on some non conference teams, but they've also put up not the greatest numbers, but still pretty good numbers. In Big 12 play, um, they own the longest running play in the Big 12 and the longest passing play in the Big 12 this year. Um, that's in Big 12 play, and they're still 0 and 4, so there's obviously issues we can get to, but um, they certainly do. They they can they can get you in a couple of different, a couple of different capacities there too. And I just wonder if you sell out to stop one, great, kind of have to stop the other. And I think like Plumlee's arm talent is probably better than McLean's, although McLean certainly did make some things happen there too. But again, they have the personnel that they've had for a while, hit the transfer portal hard, and were rewarded with some some players that have really paid off for them right now, too. So hard to hard to see a weakness, which leads me to this though, Chris. Like, how are they 0-4? How has the offense not been consistently dynamic, even though I keep saying that the numbers are good, just not as good as they were in non-conference play? Well, I think doesn't that take us to the other side of the ball? Because that's that that's where things kind of fall off the the rails for them another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Are we flipping? Nah. 
I mean, if we're looking for something positive for WVU, I think we're going to have to flip if we're going to look for something positive. We talk matchups for a second, though. Like the the secondary for West Virginia, I don't know if I was teeing this up for you or not, but whenever it is what it is. But when they saw when they saw the Houston receivers, they they had an issue back there. Obviously, um, Oklahoma State's run game got them. So you're not worried so much about the secondary performance. I don't think the passing game really really hurt them there too much here. But I don't know where you would stack these receivers, but probably. Let's just say in, in the vicinity of Houston might be above, might be below, yeah. but oh, for sure up there, yeah. yeah. And especially with this stuff that I was talking about with the rollouts and trying to keep um, discipline. I mean, because the discipline doesn't just come with the the run game, because so much of this is like read read option or run pass options, where once you start biting too hard on the on these runs or doing something like that, they're going to eat you up. And they do this thing where it. I don't even know what to describe it as. And somebody who probably knows football better than me is sitting there screaming it into their uh, podcast listening device. But Plumlee rolls out hard, like immediate rollout. He gets the snap and he immediately rolls out of the pocket. But then almost has like an object. It's almost like a delay, like a draw, a rollout, a law uh, delayed draw to the running back. Or he looks for the pass. And it's it's like a delayed read option or run pass option there. And sometimes it's a delayed handoff. Sometimes it's, it's that draw for that running back. But other times it's just the guys getting open deep, like I was talking about with the with, with Hudson and Baker. But the it, the onus is going to be on West Virginia's secondary to not only be disciplined in the run game and not, not bite on those runs, those play action pit, uh, uh, fake handoffs, but to be able to get back deep and defend this pass. And to be quite honest, like that – this sounds like about as bad of a matchup for West Virginia's defense as you could possibly cook up based off what we've seen from them the last couple of weeks. Yeah, the average at the target for Baker is 16.7 yards. Again, he's at 21 yards per catch. Hudson's average depth is 14.9. He's at 21 yards per catch. But that's depth of target. The targets are 43 and 33. So 76 passes, and you're talking about the average is about 16 yards on them. Kind of what they do, where they go. Uh, if we really want to freak out the West Virginia fans listening here, uh, they have a true freshman tight end, 6'2", 225, Randy Pittman, who gets a lot of that pop stuff in the middle. Really good athlete. True freshman playing like a high school quarterback, receiver, running back guy. That's just a tight end right now. He's kind of like their their pseudo C.J. Donaldson that they just stuck a tight end and kept him there. I'm sure he could be an inventive running back if they wanted to. Uh, one last thing I'll leave you on with the defense because we've mentioned, or the offense, we mentioned this. This is from Jordan Leslie during the week talking about Gus Malzahn on the offense. Um, he says, one thing on offense, if you go all the way back to Auburn, they can play the whole field. Any personnel, any formation, they'll split the defense right down the middle. You've got to be ready for it. Kind of exactly what you're talking about there. They can use the whole field. They can split you. They can go wide. They can make it work. Inside the hashes, outside the hashes. Malzahn's a very good offensive coach. That's how he earned his stripes. So let's go to the other side of the ball. This is probably why UCF does not have a better record and maybe why they've been solved a little bit early on a Big 12 play of the defense. It did look better last week against Oklahoma, a team that kind of goofed around and missed some field goals and maybe didn't take this one too seriously, nearly paid for it. Two-point conversion comes up belly up for UCF. Oklahoma escapes. Best their defense has looked in a while for sure, but when you just look at a statue, it doesn't look like a very good defense. 44, 36, 51 and 31. Those are the points scored by West Virginia or by UCF's five, four Big 12 opponents so far this season. And that is why they're 0 and 4 in league play. It's kind of wild because if you look at how, I mean, when you say those numbers, when you say 
the amount of points that these other teams are scoring, I would immediately assume that their secondary is terrible because mm-hmm. passing the ball is the most efficient way to move the ball down the field quickly and score points. So I'm thinking they're getting eaten up through the air. That is not the case. Like their pass defense, like as far as like, I mean, teams just aren't even bothering with passing for the most part. I mean, I think they let Dylan Gabriel cook a little bit more, but the game before that, uh, Kansas, I think they completed eight passes for like 90 yards. They literally were just like, you know what? Nah, we're just going to run. And they almost had three different 100-yard rushers in the game. And that's pretty much the the mindset that a lot of these teams have taken. I think no one that they have played has cracked 300 yards passing yet this season. Um, I think like the, in Big 12 play, like teams are averaging like 200, 215 passing yards against them. So they're not bothering with it. They're just running the ball. And adjusted for sacks, Big 12 teams are averaging six and a half yards per carry and have scored 14 rushing touchdowns in four games. So it's not great. It's not. And 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 I just want to I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to say it as bluntly as I can. You know, a couple of games ago where I was like, hey, if if Garrett Green can't get something going against Houston's secondary, then we have to call into question, you know, whether he can be the quarterback of the future. If West Virginia's run game cannot get going in this game, we have to call into question. I, I'm what, what are you saying? Waving my hands. This is me waving my hands. Yeah, all of it, every everything. If if West Virginia cannot run the ball against UCF, we need to discuss uh, blocking schemes, running back rotations, allocation of NIL resources, everything with that run game. Okay. Okay. Meet me on the tarmac, one of those things. Because right. that's that's just not – it wouldn't be acceptable. If West Virginia can't get the run game going in this one, there's a, a big problem. Mention some uh, Big 12 superlatives for UCF. Here's the opposite. Um, most rushing yards allowed, surrendered by UCF. Most rushing touchdowns, surrendered by UCF. Most touchdowns, UCF. Most points, UCF. Longest punt return, UCF. Most all-purpose purpose yardage by an opponent, also UCF, not a coincidence. I want to go back to your point about Kansas, where Kansas only threw the ball 12 times, right? Um, Kansas obviously can run the ball very, very well. We just talked about the Oklahoma State defense that, for some reason, um, gave up 220 yards to Kansas State and then 90 to Kansas. Kansas came out throwing the ball, did not want to run it against Kansas, and then couldn't. And Kansas would not throw the ball and only ran the ball against UCF. Why? Giant fluorescent arrow pointing over it. Um, just big totals by teams, average, aggregate. It can just happen there too. So it does match up. However, their secondary, if we're going ranks here, um, probably the best they've seen since Penn State, I would think, right? Although I, I will give Oklahoma State credit, especially their safeties are pretty athletic and they look like they can roam all over the field. They're young, they're pretty good though. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what I think of. A- some of these backups with UCF's defense, and maybe I'll touch on it that in a moment. But statistically, they've been solid. And and again, I can't remember what it was, like top 30, top 35 in pass defense in the country. You know, again, like very much above average. Like not amazing, but very much above average. And to your point, yeah, probably the best secondary West Virginia's faced since Penn State. But the cornerbacks don't play linebacker or defensive end or defensive tackle, though. No. 
It's a weird thing though, because they have one of the best TFL guys um going. So the they're um I guess they would call it well, they call it um Buck, I think, but they're they're bandit or whatever. Um Traymon Morrison Brash leads the mm-hmm. nation in TFLs. 14 in seven games, two per game, both numbers are tops in the country. So he can get in the backfield. Uh gotta scheme it away from him. And that might mean um Traylon Davis gotta get your hands on people. Um maybe they go with that heavy formation again where they add Nick Malone. Maybe they go with more of that um, unbalanced with uh, Milam and Nestor on the same side. But also maybe Chris um UCF cooks something up that West Virginia is not expecting because back to back opponents have done that and, and kind of stunted West Virginia in the opening quarter, which makes the game interesting in the end. And we can get why that is significant. But let's go into these starts that we've been talking about here. It's been eleven games in nearly a year since West Virginia started a game with a touchdown. Uh, one field goal this year, no other touchdowns, arrest punts. Um, last opening drive touchdown was against TCU, a game they very nearly won. So it does matter in some some regard. UCS defense is right for the picking. Do you come out and do what you do and run it and just hope that works? Because that is West Virginia's MO. Do you play action a little bit? Do you do what the other team isn't expecting? How would you get points on the board in that opening drive? It's a great question because I, I think – well, obviously, it's like, hey, run the ball. And, you know, UCF, they're going to be smart. They've seen what the other teams have done. What did, Was it Houston? I think they said uh, switch to an entire, like, a bear front, which yeah. really just threw them off. And I think for that first drive, stick with what works for you, whatever that is. I, I don't think you need to adjust your first drive for what the opposing team's going to do. You rep what you do well over and over and over again for those scripted plays, for those for that first drive, first drive and a half, whatever it is. And don't worry about what the opponent does or does not do well for that first drive. After that, you start picking on the things that the other team can't, can't defend. Um, so whatever that is, that's the way you go. Um, I, I just, I hate the idea of them, like you mentioned and like Neil Brown mentioned, you know, with the teams muddying things up in the middle where you try to go focus full on the run. And the other team just says, all right, we're just going to pack the box in. And then West Virginia gets nothing going. And you really can't have that in this game that I think could end up with a score of like 35 to 32 or something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, Here's a wild card, too, that I'm sure we're going to talk about, but it's turnover margin. Both teams are negative in the turnover margin. West Virginia number 87 and UCF number 105. Chris, neither one of these teams turns it over very much, though. How does this happen? They just don't create turnovers. So this is a possession game where you make them count. Um, the other team isn't very good at taking it away, and the other team is especially uh, generous when it comes to giving it away. And Neil Brown's made a pretty big point of this, too, is that got two turnovers last week, no points. Kavina three turnovers, which is kind of an outlier for this team, and one of them's on a punt, so okay, but that led to 17 points. When West Virginia was 4-0, it was plus 10 in turnover margin. It is now minus 14 because it has been a 24-0 run the past two games. That's not good. And UCF is actually positive on points off of turnovers for the year. But again, just not a lot of activity for either team. It does seem like that um, both teams run a lot. Not a lot of bad things happen typically when you run it, whereas you know the old saying about when you pass it, how many bad things can happen? Does a turnover flip this game here? Or do the stats kind of give you a, a, a sketch of the personality of the team? I mean, that's not um, indicative of what happened. But also, that also puts a lot of pressure on the event of turnover does happen. So you're 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 setting me up for the thing that we're going to talk about post game because it's 
semi-related to this. I would loop turnover differential or the amount of turnovers into this conversation. You want me to go ahead and jump right into that topic? All right, Chris, we're talking, uh, thank goodness, a noon game. We're talking uh, four o'clock from our homes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what are we talking about to explain how either West Virginia overcame the odds of a six and a half point underdog or proved the odds makers right and could not get it done? We're talking field position, Mike, because you you pointed out right there about how UCF is with turnovers. They are negative turnover ratio, uh, margin, not because they turn it over a ton, but because I believe they only have six turn uh, turnovers gained the entire season. And, you know, that can help flip field position. That's where I'm tying this in. But big picture field position takes into a bunch of different aspects, starting with special teams. UCF ranks um, 132nd out of 133 teams in net punting. <laughs> they are not only bad at punting the ball, 103rd in the country, but they are equally as bad at covering the punts, 127th in punt return average allowed. Uh, kickoffs are not much better. They have a pretty like average to below average touchback uh, ratio, 54%. But they rank 98th in the country on kickoff return defense. So there you got you got all the special teams pointing at least on that side of the ball, pointing in West Virginia's favor to get good starting field position. Something that helps with field position is staying on the field, not getting three and outs. We've seen how that has killed and. You know, either West Virginia is kind of moving the ball down the field and scoring, or they're getting a three and out. Central Florida, excuse me, excuse me, UCF. Um, forgot to, yeah, got that from that. the game notes. That was very specific. Do not refer to them as Central Florida. Do not refer to them as the Golden Knights anymore. It is UCF. So, excuse me. Um, they are terrible in third down defense. One hundred and twentieth in third down defense, and has only gotten worse as they've entered Big 12 play, allowing teams to convert on third downs over 60% of the time. West Virginia, we we talked about it during the open week, about how bad they were converting on third downs, that they were just in a terrible situation. I believe they, I think, had the note about them, the worst in the country, or the fewest third and long conversions in the entire country. It wasn't much better on third and short. Well, last two weeks, over 60% conversion rate on third down for West Virginia. So they're able to stay on the field. UCF can't get people off the field. This is a game where West Virginia should dominate the field uh, uh, the field position battle. And if they score, like I'm expecting both teams to score, that may be the difference in uh, West Virginia winning this game or not. All right, I got to ad-lib a little bit here too because I thought field position and special teams would be important there too for similar reasons. Um, you said it better than I could, but I think we're probably naive if we don't think this game is going to be decided by a play, a series or an entire fourth quarter, it just seems like the way that it's going for West Virginia, which was not a bad fourth quarter team and was winning games in the fourth quarter before that was no longer the case. A lot of focus on the opening drive this year. If it's too heavy on the front foot, you're going to be light in the back foot. And then West Virginia cannot afford to do that team that plays fast, runs the ball. will stack up plays. That temperature is going to be mid eighties. That is a concern for me if I have a thin defense and um, a passive attitude against the run. I really wonder what's going to happen there. Um, Why this is interesting, UCF and West Virginia have scored the same number of points in the fourth quarter against FBS opponents. 
UCF is 128th in fourth quarter deep fourth quarter scoring defense. But guess what? That is one spot better than West Virginia. So uh, they score the same. They give up the same. They score about an average amount. They give up a well below average amount there. It just seems like past this prologue that West Virginia is going to be bogged down by the four quarters until that's no longer the case. Um, I think you probably have to. It's that time of year, Chris. You gotta you gotta find the ghost and and chase him out of the house here. This is going to come down to a decision, a red zone possession, a turnover, a punt return, something singular, maybe something sequential, a drive that either the worm turns and all of a sudden you don't have to worry about that demon anymore, or it's going to haunt you until you get it right in the future here too. We'll see when that time comes. Chris, wrapping it up, a couple more days left in the calendar here before the game begins. What do we have up our sleeves? I have some more preview pieces coming. I'm hopping on the UCF Twitter spaces on Wednesday night. So I believe you can like listen to that after the fact. So you mean you've already hopped on the Twitter spaces? Oh yeah. Sorry. That was last night. I'm blowing up the timeline here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Go find that audio, put it on the site if I can get a hold of it. Um, And yeah, noon game. Have they played noon game yet? Why is my memory so bad? I don't think you're right. Penn State early or late. Duquesne late. Yeah. It late. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So well, just a quicker earlier Saturday and we'll get everything done, get everything up and everybody uh, can go out and hopefully enjoy their Saturday evening. Yeah. Um, fresh set by the numbers. Also have some basketball previews here. There's a charity exhibition. It seems really weird, but the charity exhibition is not for the Norma Ray Huggins cancer foundation i'm not judging i'm just saying that that's one of those reminders that how much of things have changed here that's going to be for the wvu children's fund that's friday night at home against george mason we'll have that covered on site and then yeah live saturday morning saturday afternoon for west virginia ucf gonna have some answers about one of these teams here someone's gonna be a little bit more miserable a little bit longer Somebody's going to feel like their hard work is paid off and that they're back on their feet again. We'll find out who when the time arrives. Until then, I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then.